This episode of Didn't I Just Feed You is sponsored by By Heart. Longtime listeners know that Stacy and I both struggled with infant feeding stages with all our kids. Breastfeeding was hard, and choosing a formula was, well, also hard. We're thrilled to be working with By Heart, an infant nutrition company on a mission to make the best formula in the world. Not only is By Heart an easy-to-digest formula, their formula is also clinically proven for easier digestion, less spit-up, and softer poops versus leading infant formula. By Heart has their own patented protein blend that includes prebiotics and an 80-20 whey-to-casein ratio, just like in early breast milk, which is tailor-made for a newborn's digestive system. Curious about By Heart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com slash podcast with code D-I-J-F-Y for a limited time. That's byheart.com slash podcast and code D-I-J-F-Y, short for didn't I just feed you. Additional terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it's Stacy, and I'm here to help you say goodbye to dry, boring chicken dinners with my new cookbook, Winner Winner Chicken Dinner, 50 Winning Ways to Cook It Up. It's a practical handbook of go-to chicken recipes that will help you solve dinner. From Filipino-style chicken adobo made in an Instant Pot to a weeknight version of classic chicken salt and boca, kid-approved chicken parmesan meatballs to pineapple chicken salad with toasted coconut, this book is packed with modern, vibrant recipes so you can roast, grill, slow cook, sheet pan, and braise your way to dinner deliciousness. Get your copy on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or IndieBound, or at your local independent bookstore. All links are available at didn'tijustfeedyou.com. Butter and oil are interchangeable. They're a pretty even swap. So I typically keep grapeseed and olive oil, and I use grapeseed the way most people use vegetable or canola oil. Welcome to Didn't I Just Feed You, a podcast about feeding kids. Hi, I'm Megan. And I'm Stacy. Hey guys, before we get started, we want to make sure that if you haven't already, you take a moment right now to hit subscribe wherever you're listening to us. That way you won't miss a single episode. And if you're feeling generous, you can rate and review too. It helps a ton. Plus, we know that you can do it while you're listening because you're already a master multitasker if you're a parent. Whoop, whoop. I don't know why either of just say us just Let's saying keep doing it. I think we're excited because we're going to talk about pantry substitutions or food substitutions in general, which feels like a very useful um, thing to talk about. And we're both pros. Yeah, we are. You, mo- you, especially in baking, I can't wait to hear from you about baking substitutions because I can develop a recipe for a baking recipe, but it takes me a little while. And I have to say, like, anytime I make adjustments, I'm always like, oh, God, oh, God, I hope this works. Oh, God. like, I'm so nervous about it because I don't have like a, like a fundamental formal education in the chemistry of baking, which I think of you as having. You know, what's really funny, I actually made the choice to do the baking and pastry track rather than the culinary track, because I felt like baking and pastry had more science to it. Like what I learned in baking and pastry, I can apply to savory cooking because I understand like how fats and proteins and gluten and all of those things work. I love that. I know. It makes me sound like way nerdy, like nerdier, like the cool kind of nerdy where you're really smart than I actually am. (laughs) (laughs) 
just to be clear, I just want to be clear. Like, I'm not a super science geek by any stretch of the imagination. I consider myself much more of a creative. Um, but it is it it's helpful when you know the rules. Yes. You can know how to flex the rules and also, like, what's going to happen if you break them. Totally. But you guys don't have to know the rules. We're here today to just tell you straight sheet. up. Straight We're up. just going to tell you what to do. All right. Should we just, like, jump in? I mean, I I can't think of any other way to start. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm just you kidding. Know- we should probably talk about how we have... Also, just a great general pantry episode that you can listen to from um, a few weeks back. And we've talked before a little bit about baking, if that's where you want to geek out, with an episode with Shauna Seaver. And she talked to us about changing the amount of sugar in recipes or using different sugar in recipes. And that's really helpful. And then I think our episode with Jennifer Tyler Lee which was about reducing sugar overall is also a really interesting one to listen to for some substitution ideas because she talks about like making like replacing sugar with pear puree or like making your salad dressing sweet but and like still have viscosity but without using as much sugar or or oils too so three great listens if you want even more about substitutions in different angles. And otherwise, yeah, we can jump in. You know, I want to start with either butter or cheese, right? I mean... Because <laughs> it's like a family emergency when we don't have butter or cheese in my house. <laughs> can I share something really cute? We, I'm on Marco Polo with a bunch of other moms. And this week I mentioned that can I was feeling... Can everybody it. find you? <laughs> can everyone find me on Marco Polo? I don't know. We should we should try to figure that out. I might share that. Um, Ooh, it's just yeah. another place where you could answer que- uh, like ask questions, right? Party so- at Megan's Marco Polo app. <laughs> Watch me delete it within the week because I'm just like, forget you guys. This is too much. That would be so you. <laughs> it would. It would. Like I started something and I didn't finish it. Yeah, that's no, me. that's not what I meant. Just like the piecing out. The like, I'm social. I love you guys. Wait, peace out. Bye. <laughs> too much. Go and hide. See ya. <laughs> yep. Um, it's very Scorpio of me. It like, is totally. I want. I want you close, but not too close. Okay. <laughs> So on Marco Polo, we have this group of moms in quarantine. I don't know any other way to say it. That's our group chat name. And I mentioned that I was feeling really nervous, nervous in air quotes, because we're low on both cheese and butter. And one of the other moms in the group like drove by later that night and left two pounds of butter on my front porch. (laughs) That's amazing. Is she your new best friend? Because if not, she should be. Yeah. Well, she's one of my close (laughs) friends anyways, right? And then... I, I need to do the same thing, actually, for a couple of friends in that group with sourdough starter. Because it, with everyone home, people are wanting to bake more sourdough or bake in general. And sourdough is actually a great, can be a great substitute if you run out of yeast and you're used to baking bread. So that's worth mentioning. Butter or cheese? It's a Where tough do you want to start? Where do you want to start? I think we could talk about butter first. Do it. So okay. I'm going to do savory. You do baking. <laughs> So, guys, it's really simple. (laughs) Right? Butter and oil are interchangeable. They're a pretty even swap. So, I typically keep grapeseed and olive oil. And I use grapeseed the way most people use vegetable or canola oil. Sometimes I also have canola oil when I'm going to be frying chicken because I like it slightly better than grapeseed oil. 
I also have coconut oil. And people don't think of that as a one-to-one swap, but it is. Megan's going to talk about it for baking because I know that coconut oil is a really relevant swap for butter in baking. But people don't think of it for cooking as much, but I have to say it's really great for cooking. Um, I like it, especially if you're sauteing greens or anything kind of bitter, especially if you get the unrefined coconut oil. Right, because it's a little bit sweet in flavor. And nutty, and it's really delicious. So that's a pretty easy one. Um, You know, when you have fat, you just want to do either butter or oil, interchangeable one-to-one. Well, that was so easy. And now I get the hard part. I'm telling you. Now, Megan, baking. (laughs) Because this one's actually really tough. Yeah, I was going to say, now I have the job of telling you the bad news (laughs) that when it comes to baking, you cannot just do a one for one substitute. It's possible, but it would be hard. I would have to like look at your recipe and be like, here's exactly what you should do. Because most of the time, you if you're replacing all of the butter in the recipe in a recipe you want to use a combination of things to substitute it so because butter has this weird plasticity that's what i'm i'm going to call it you know how it can be like very soft at a certain temperature or it can be almost kind of stretchy like just below room temperature no other fat really does that on its own so a lot of times you'll see like let's talk about a chocolate chip cookie recipe like People will use margarine and shortening, or they'll use oil and shortening so that they get that like that elasticity. And so you have a cookie that has that sort of tight, small crumb. Yep. So I can't be like, here's the exact substitution for butter in baking. But a lot of times you can use applesauce or other fruit purees. Think about baby food, or if you keep pumpkin puree on hand or even mash an avocado or mash a banana um so you could in some instances do half of the butter and half the fruit puree just as a heads up if you're baking a quick bread like banana bread and you replace some of the butter the bread is going to be a little bit more dense so it might not rise as high as you're used to it baking but the moist will be more loaf your loaf will be more moist I'm going to get the words out today, I swear. Okay, you mentioned coconut oil, which is actually a really great substitute for butter. In a lot of baking recipes, you can use it one for one. My suggestion would be, if that's your game plan, to look for a specific recipe that calls for for coconut oil instead of butter. Like, look to vegan recipes to give you a sense of, like, if the flour or sugar amounts are going to change in whatever you're baking. But it's interesting because coconut oil can be a solid or a liquid, too. Is that why it's different than the other fat, the other oils? Yeah. It doesn't have that same level of that elasticity, but it it, it does get very close, right? You can also use coconut oil in pie crust, which is great to know. Yeah, vegans do that, right? Vegans do that. I also feel like an all um, shortening pie crust can be really great, or if you can get your hands on it, lard is a, is great, a great fat to use for pie crust as well. I don't, I'm not going to recommend using, you can use oil in place of butter, but again, that's a place where you want to look for a specific recipe. What comes to the top of my mind 
are cake recipes because a lot of times you'll see cake recipes actually call for oil instead of butter. And the reason for that is because it keeps them more moist and creates a tighter crumb in the cake. So that's a really great place to like just look for a recipe that calls for oil instead of butter all around. Also, my understanding is if you really only have, because a lot of what you're saying is that you're going to use butter in combination with something. So that's, a, these substitutes work like applesauce, you know, mashed tofu, yes. mashed avocado. If you have some, you're wanting to if you have the some, butter last longer. Right. And you're trying to preserve your butter. But if you have none, and let's say you also don't have coconut oil where you would look for those alternative recipes, you're really not trying to use all oil for all butter. Yeah. Bad scene, right? But I have heard that if you're going to attempt that, then at least look for a recipe where the butter that's called for in your recipe is melted and cooled first. Yes, that's such a great tip. Okay. Should we talk about yogurt as a butter substitute? Oh, Because I feel like that's one of those little yogurt and sour cream. Um, You can do a little one-for-one swap there. It's going to change the flavor and the texture of whatever you're baking a little bit. Um, And just keep in mind that, like, in most recipes, you'd want to use just regular yogurt versus Greek yogurt because it has, like, a little bit better moisture distribution. Oh, yeah. And also, I wonder if the protein content in Greek yogurt can interfere also. Yeah, it'll definitely make, like, if you're making a, a banana bread or a muffin recipe, it'll definitely make the finished baked good darker, which surprises a lot of people because that protein translates to sugar. And specifically when you're using Greek yogurt, you want to be mindful of not over mixing because that protein can work in part with the gluten and make your baked good tougher. Got it. Got it. Okay. So butter is kind of hard. Like if you're going to try to substitute butter in your baking, you know, you just have to be mindful of a lot of different factors and probably the best bet, unless this is something you want to like experiment with, you're willing for your baked good to go awry and say, you know, just call it what it is and be like, ah, I tried that. Then you probably want to be looking to vegan resources to get those baking recipes. So you know exactly that it's been tested as is. Yes. All right. Cheese. We climbed the mountain. That was butter. Yeah, I I feel like like that's the hardest, guys. (laughs) That's the hardest. Okay, so cheese. I mean, what can you substitute for cheese? I guess it really depends, huh? Yeah. Oh, I think, like, immediately what comes to mind is making a vegan cheese sauce where you can use, like, nutritional yeast and nuts and... Like, put that, like, I've made nachos that way when I did a Whole30 once. Yeah, and when Isaac was dairy-free, I do that. And I actually do personally keep raw cashews in my freezer because they're a great way to make smoothies really nice and creamy. And every once in a while, I'll pull out some, like, rando vegan recipe. (laughs) And the kids are like, what is this? And, oh, I know, I did it, like, I made... um chipotle creamy chipotle sauce for burritos recently and i used cashews so i do think that if um if you have that in your pantry great if you're able when you're listening to shop easily wherever get all the groceries you need keeping some in your freezer raw cashews is not a bad idea um and you can always throw them in smoothies if you get to a place where you're like i never use these up i just want to get rid of them yeah Oh, and also, if you run out of mayo, they're really good. Like, for any kind of, like, creamy dressing or mayo-like spread, they can be useful. 
Yeah. And I also think of like your idea of throwing your raw cashews into a smoothie is along the lines of like keeping those raw cashews on hand in case you run out of milk and you need to like make a nut milk for your smoothies or your coffee or for baking or however you plan to use them. I want to say someone mentioned this in the listeners group or maybe they asked the question in the listeners group that you can freeze milk. So if you're in a situation right now where you can, you're maybe going to Costco and you can buy like two gallons of milk at one time, but your family doesn't drink that much in a week, you can stick that whole, like pour off some so you don't explode the plastic container when you freeze it and you can freeze the whole gallon or you can pour it into those like cocktail ice cube trays or other small ice cube trays and freeze it that way too. Yes, totally. Uh, That was actually new for me. I'd heard that but I hadn't known anyone who'd actually done it. So it was really great in our listeners group to hear from people who do it on the regular and report that it works super well. Yeah. So I was happy to get that. Um, I want to quickly go back to the cashews and just talk to people about um, the fact that you need to soak raw cashews for a little bit to get that creaminess out of them. So if you've never done that before, just look up a couple of, you know, recipes so you can just read it over and get a sense. Um, When I'm in a rush, I just get my tap water to run super hot or I boil water and cover the cashews by about an inch. And even within 10 minutes, you can get it to work. The longer you let them soak, the creamier your end result will be, but it works even if you're going quickly. If you want to make them into nut milk, it's really great to soak them overnight, but definitely for smoothies and even just quick things, soaking them even for an hour, 30 minutes. And I love that you mentioned the hot water trick because I do that. I'm never organized enough to be yeah, like, I mean, come on, oh, yes, right? I've soaked my, my cashews for my morning smoothie. <laughs> um, uh, seriously, any other cheese substitutes? It's such a hard one. I mean, if you can get nutritional yeast, that's a great cheesy flavor thing. But how, I mean, yeah, yeah, I agree. For the love of cheese, I almost like, I almost just don't even want to substitute. It's all or nothing for me. I agree. (laughs) I totally agree. You know, the one thing I will say that if you have a recipe that calls for stirring shredded cheese in and it's like adding texture. So I'm thinking of my green chili cheesy rice, which is on my site, stacybillis.com. Something like that, you can either skip it or use cottage cheese or a little bit of yogurt. You know, and you got to kind of just feel your way through that. It's yeah. going to be a slightly different result, but it does add that moisture and flavor. Sour cream also. But, you know, when we're talking about, like, if you want to make a pizza and you ran out of cheese, like, make, you know, a cheeseless pie, basically. Yeah. I just think maybe you're SOL. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Like, it's it's over. Game over. But Move I'm, on. Glad you, I'm glad you mentioned cottage cheese because that wheeled my mind onto ricotta cheese, which both cottage cheese and ricotta cheese, if you have like a large volume of milk, you can make those both at home without many extra ingredients. We'll link to some recipes in the show notes. But I think ricotta cheese you can make with like white vinegar or lemon juice and a gallon of milk. So I have a recipe that I love. I used to make it all the time when the boys were little and I haven't in ages. And I was thinking that I would publish it on my new site and so Do this is it. the perfect <laughs> this is the perfect because i had step-by-step photos too it's really easy it's true though that you need a volume of milk and a little bit of cream yeah. if you want a good texture but if you have heavy cream and milk 
you can make it and it's so delicious. It's Listen, like don't tease us like you did with the sous vide egg bites. No, I, I it's already developed. It. It's we already developed. It. You gotta get it live. It, listen, you have a little bit of time in between listen, recording Megan. and publishing to do this. I'll be I'm gonna be on you about it. <laughs> <laughs> the recipe police. Okay. Other dairy products. Can we quickly go through some I would stuff? love for us to do that? So if we're talking about working out of your pantry, you run out of milk, it's sometimes great if this is your jam to either have like the shelf-stable milks like Parmalat, I think of as being really mm-hmm. popular in Europe. Um, that's great to have. Or a can of evaporated milk. So if you do half a can of evaporated milk plus half a cup of water, you've got a milk substitute. And do you think that's the same, like counts the same as non-fat dry milk too, which you can also, I wouldn't drink non-reconstituted non-fat dry milk, but you can use it in baking. Absolutely. Absolutely. Let's talk about half and half. Like if you really like having half and half for your coffee and you need it, some people say a cup of whole milk plus a tablespoon of melted unsalted butter works. Yes. Or you can use a cup of evaporated milk. And now I want to say something else about evaporated milk. If you're doing the reverse, where you don't have evaporated milk, but you do have regular milk, all you need to do is cook down your regular milk. So I know this because we did it just the other day while quarantined at home. My 13-year-old decided to make a Mexican chocolate tres leches cake, and we didn't have evaporated milk. So we take, you basically... To get one cup of evaporated milk, you want to cook down a little bit more than two cups of regular milk. You do double yeah. and a tiny bit like a smidge more and then just cook it down. And over like a low heat or yeah. can you take it yeah, to Yeah, you don't want it to boil, boil because curdle? then it's going to yeah. scald and curdle and yeah. all that stuff. So just like a medium low, low heat. Keep your eye on it. It's going to take a little time because you're reducing by like half. Yeah. So it takes a while, but it works. Can we talk about two of my favorite substitutions? One yes. being if you don't have heavy cream, which I <laughs> I feel like heavy cream is a staple that everyone should have. And I think people are really afraid of it because it's heavy cream. But you can make like quick biscuits with heavy cream. It's great for brushing on baked goods. So many great like sauces can be made out of heavy cream. But if you don't have I it. I agree with you, by the way. Do you? We have been yes. going through we have been going through heavy cream like nobody's business. I was like, geez, I didn't know I needed to buy like four canisters yeah. of it. Yeah, you do. At all times you must have it. It also freezes well too. Like any other dairy, not any other dairy product, but a lot of dairy products. So you can make your own heavy cream. I don't know that you could whip this, but for baking and for sauce making with two thirds of a cup whole milk and a third of a cup of unsalted butter. And then my other, you if you listen to I the know. grocery cart episode, <laughs> you know that I'm going to be saying you should have buttermilk on hand yes. for so many reasons. <laughs> but it's actually one of the easiest dairy products to, to make a substitution for because all you need is one cup of milk, a teaspoon of lemon juice or vinegar, and let that sit for 10 minutes. Yep. And then you get a cup of buttermilk. And then you have buttermilk, at least good enough for baking. I will say I I definitely prefer lemon juice for the flavor of it, but vinegar is a great substitute. And I would stick with either white vinegar or apple cider vinegar in your milk for for flavor reasons. No balsamic vinegar, you guys. It doesn't have enough acidity. (laughs) And also gross. Um, Okay, so if you don't have buttermilk and you're not going to make it because you're just like, 
I understand that yogurt, not Greek yogurt, that's nice and that's all thick, like regular yogurt, plain, not like strawberry. (laughs) One (laughs) to one. That can get interesting. I guess. It's true. Depends what you're making. One to one substitution, buttermilk, yogurt. 100%. Also sour. You can use sour cream similarly. Similarly. Yeah. Yeah. And sour cream and yogurt are also a substitute for each other. So we have those all on like one line, sour cream, yogurt, buttermilk. They're just best buddy friends. Boop-a-doo. Let's talk about eggs. Oh, eggs are hard. Let me be real with you. We said butter is hard. I forgot about eggs. Eggs are are not. Okay, listen. We're, we, (laughs) I just want to be really clear. In these instances, we're mostly talking about eggs for baking yeah they're the only thing i would say that you could substitute for eggs for just like your morning eggs your scramble would be silken tofu you can definitely make an egg assimilation yes. from that you can scramble it you can scramble it and i know there's a ton of like egg substitutes coming to the market i haven't um experimented with many of them so i don't want to speak like yeah. just egg is that one of those it, cu- it looks like mustard in a container and you can scramble it and use it for baking but i've i still haven't purchased it yeah same so so I we're gonna know. be talking about it for baking but also like pancakes waffles yeah that yeah kind of right thing. that's like where most people like Let's be real. Most people are not like baking cakes all the time right now, but they are maybe making more waffles, more pancakes, mm-hmm. more quick breads to use up produce that's a, that are that is in their kitchen. Okay, so a- applesauce again is a great substitution for one egg. You'll just need a third of a cup of applesauce. Ditto for pureed banana, but it's a, like half of a banana or a quarter cup of mash okay. for, in exchange for each egg. I think you taught me this trick, and I can't remember what it was for. Like the gr- you can make a flax egg is yeah, what people I do. Call I used it. to do this all the time. Okay, so can you can you speak into a little bit? Because you can use flax or chia. You can right? use flax or chia. I've used flax more, but either will work. So a tablespoon of ground flax seed. So it needs to be ground or chia seeds as they are. You don't need to grind them. Plus about three tablespoons of water. Just mix them up and let it sit for like 10 to 15 minutes. And you know how they both get kind of gelatinous? Mm -hmm. That will happen. And then that performs like egg in baked good. So one tablespoon ground flaxseed or chia seeds plus three tablespoons water equals one egg. Let it sit until it gets all nice and jelly and weird. Um, I have read this and I haven't tried it yet, but people do a quarter cup of silken tofu. Again, if you're buying tofu for your morning scramble, you can use it, um, in your baked goods too. Three tablespoons of vegetable oil to a tablespoon of water. I also recently read that you can do something similar with carbonated water. Oh, interesting. I'm going to find the story and link to it in the show notes. Okay, cool. It was all about egg substitutions. And then man- you can use mayonnaise for cakes. Also, hot tip, I totally put mayonnaise in American buttercream, which is the buttercream where you just like whip butter and add powdered sugar. If you do like a tablespoon of mayonnaise in it, it makes it super silky smooth. So, but for baking, for baking, specifically for cakes, you can use three tablespoons of mayonnaise for every egg called for. Awesome. Boom. On eggs. Which Boom. Is the all right. I'm I got, I got all right like, worked up, but it was actually fairly easy. Okay, we went through it. <laughs> um, 
let's talk a little bit about some really basic things that people are going to be like, mm, I don't know if we need that, but we'll power through it because you might find yourself in a position where you're looking for real basic things like fresh herbs, garlic, onion, yeah. lemon, and you're out of the fresh. What do you do to achieve a similar flavor? Okay. All right, let's start with garlic because everybody, I hope, is using garlic all the time. <laughs> I'm like, this I is love a Stacy. Yes, you want to start with garlic and lemons, I'm sure. Yes, okay. exactly. <laughs> Tell us, what do we do? Okay, so for garlic, for every clove, you can substitute an eighth teaspoon of garlic powder. All right, so that's like the big one. For every clove, one eighth teaspoon garlic powder. You can also use half teaspoon of garlic salt. Remember, garlic salt is garlic powder mixed with salt. So you're using a little bit more to get the more concentrated flavor, but also you have to omit half a teaspoon of salt from the recipe. So for every half teaspoon of garlic salt, adjust the salt by half a teaspoon down because you're already adding the salt. Get it, people? There we go. For every clove, if you happen to have purchased jarred minced garlic and you have that in the back of your fridge, for every clove, you can use half a teaspoon. I always have shallots, so I'm just going to give them a shout out here uh, that you can also use half to one teaspoon of minced shallots. You're going to get a slightly different flavor, definitely, but it works. And I actually love the taste of shallots. It's never a bad thing. I feel like shallots are just so underrated. I agree. They're one of my favorite. Like, they're so good. They're, they're one of my favorite sweet, ingredients. And they just have a ton of flavor. So if your market's out of onions and garlic, grab those shallots. Yeah, they're like small. <laughs> they can be really sharp when you're cutting them, like a like a really potent onion. But pickled, you can also take shallots, cut them into thinly sliced rings. I'm getting off topic here, by the way. This is not a substitution. We love when you go off but topic. I want I want people to know this. And then just take a little bit of like a small bowl, small prep bowl. Put in some flour and just take the rings of shallots, break them up with your fingers, throw them in the flour and kind of toss them around. Then heat oil, just like have the oil come up like canola oil, grapeseed oil, like about an inch and a half up the side. Get it hot. Throw those uh, shallots that have been tossed with the flour into the hot oil until they get nice and golden brown. Pull them out, let them rest on a plate that's been lined with a paper towel. And those crispy shallots will keep in a sealed jar for like a week and a half, two weeks. And they are so good on everything. So if you're looking for a little like pantry kitchen project, do that or pickle them. You just gave us a substitution for those crunchy canned <gasps> I onions. I did! <laughs> <laughs> Which is a great segue for us to just talk about onion substitutions in general. Okay. Talk to us. Oh, me. Okay. Oh, do it. Okay. So we're going to use the example of a medium onion, right? Because that's like what a lot of recipes call for. Yeah, or totally. half of a large onion, which I think is what a medium onion counts yeah, as too. Totally. So for, for a medium onion, you can substitute one and a half to two teaspoons of onion powder. Again, a shallot comes in super handy here. You could use one cup of chopped shallots. Do people buy leeks? This is a question that I have <laughs> in general. <laughs> I actually do. So I only buy them when I have a specific recipe, but I'm imagining there are lots true. of leeks left lonely right now. <laughs> are leeks like the chocolate hummus? Like I when think, people I think panic? they might be of the produce section. <laughs> yeah, but just if you leeks. can snag leeks, you can use um, one and a quarter cups of chopped leeks in 
in place of a medium onion or ditto that of green onions or scallions, which when you buy a bunch of green onions, um, you want to use the white and light green parts only like cut off that little root end, cut off the really dark sort of fibrous top part and chop up the rest. And then if you were really smart and you bought frozen chopped onions, I wish I did that. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> you just need a cup of those frozen chopped onions in place of a medium, a medium onion. Lemons? Yes, I was going to say, talk to me about lemons, because that's your fave. Okay, well, I'm Greek, so there's no substitute, period. (laughs) kidding. (laughs) Um, There really isn't, I will have you know, but you can use vinegar. So for each tablespoon of fresh lemon juice, you can use one and a half teaspoons of white wine vinegar, sherry vinegar, or champagne vinegar. And then... If you need to use zest, you can use lemon extract, but I'm going to guess that you don't have lemons. Maybe you don't have lemon extract, but there you go. For each teaspoon of zest, you would use about a half teaspoon of lemon extract. What about, can you dry, can't you buy dried lemon peel like in the spice section? Have you I ever think used that? that? You can. I, I think of that as being good for baking. I wonder if it would work nicely with sauces. Yeah. I also wonder how potent it is. I would guess that it's not that potent. Right. So you're probably going to need like a teaspoon of it in place of a whole zest yeah. of lemon. Yeah. In a exactly. sauce or pasta. Yeah. Great. That's a great segue into talking about substitutes for fresh herbs. Yeah. Because a lot of times people will say like, oh, I only have dried thyme or I have, you know, dry oregano, not fresh. And those dried herbs have a more concentrated potent flavor. Yes. So you need about a teaspoon of a dried herb. In this example, you'd substitute a teaspoon of dried herbs for um, every tablespoon that the recipe calls for, right? Yeah. And I don't buy ground spices very much, but you can substitute those for dried and fresh, right? Yes. I would say for every tablespoon of fresh herb, you would want to use a quarter to a half teaspoon of a ground or powdered version of that same spice. So that's different than the dried spice. The dried spice is like the whole spice that's just been dried out. You know, it might break up a little bit like an oregano leaf, but that's different than powdered. So ginger is a good example. Ginger tends to come either fresh or as powdered ginger. So for every tablespoon of ginger, you would want to use a quarter to a half teaspoon of the powdered version. Oh, that's so great. I didn't I did not know that. Making notes here. What else? What else should we do? Should we go to like flour, sugar, like some yeah, I was baked say, staples? I think that that's like the next and most important thing. Yeah. This is actually something I ran into this week making um chocolate chip banana crumb muffins mm. that called for cake flour <laughs> and I don't have cake flour. So for every how do I want to articulate this in a in a brilliant way? For cake flour, it's just one cup of all-purpose flour minus two two tablespoons. If you have cornstarch, you can also add in a tablespoon of cornstarch because that'll help make your all-purpose flour more tender. If you're in the opposite place where you have cake flour but you're out of all-purpose flour, it would be one cup plus three tablespoons of cake flour. Or you can use self-rising flour. This is so funny. My best friend, Patty, was like, I couldn't buy regular flour at my grocery store. So I just bought self-rising. I was like, it's going to be fine. For those who don't know, self-rising flour has baking powder and salt added to it. So you can use it um, 
one for one, but you just need to also adjust the amounts of baking powder and salt in your recipe. And how do you like omit the baking powder altogether? I've never used self-rising flour. It depends on what I'm making. Okay. If I'm doing biscuits, then yes, I just skip the baking powder and salt. Um, ditto for muffins, but I've never used it for pancakes. I would imagine it's much the same. Okay, cool. I bet we could pull actually some information for the show notes and I could tell you like awesome. it, for every cup of self-rising flour, it's actually this much baking powder and this much salt. Cool. One cup of cake flour is equal to one cup of pastry flour, if you have a recipe that calls for that. Oh, wait, are they the same? No, pastry flour actually has like a little bit more protein in okay. it because it's used for making things like pat brise yeah, and yes. pie crust that has like a little bit more structure to it, whereas yeah. cake flour is like for making really soft and tender cakes. Got it. So like when you make like croissant, which you made fairly recently... Yes. Like, would you use pastry flour for that? No, it is actually, a pastry. <laughs> actually, weirdly, I would use all-purpose or even bread flour. Oh, it is a bread, too. It is a bread, and you want some elasticity, and having some elasticity to your dough means you get more flaky layers, which oh. is also why people use pastry flour instead of cake flour for pie crusts and stuff. Got it. You get okay. a little more structure. But okay. for this purpose, for substitution purposes... A cup of cake flour is equivalent to a cup of pastry flour. Yeah. Okay, cool. Or you can use, again, that all-purpose flour minus three tablespoons, and you can add cornstarch to it. Got it. Cool. All right. Okay. Got your flour. How about sugar? Sugar. Oh, my goodness. Okay. What do you think people are really running out of? When it comes to sugar, I feel like I couldn't find powdered sugar and I was very surprised. And it was like early. I wasn't I wasn't like panic buying. I wasn't I was just like, why is everything in this supermarket except powdered sugar? Like, what the hell are you all doing? (laughs) Baking, apparently making icing. Um, Like, what? (laughs) Are you glazing everything in your kitchen? Face masks out of royal icing. Um. (laughs) So powdered sugar is actually really easy because you can just take a cup of granulated sugar and a tablespoon of cornstarch and run it through your food processor. Oh, boom. There you boom, go, people. Boom, shakalaka. In the reverse, if you have powdered sugar but not granulated sugar, you just need a higher volume of the confectioner sugar. So it's like um, one and three quarters cup of powdered sugar is equal to one cup of sugar. Okay. You can substitute packed light brown or dark brown sugar one for one cool and we learned this from jennifer right or maybe it was shauna siever that like if you want to use honey agave nectar or like a brown rice syrup you can use one cup minus two tablespoons of any of those but you also need to adjust the baking powder because those things have more acidity got it and aren't they, do they also affect texture because they're liquid versus sugar yeah, as a solid? They do. But we're they not going to worry about that too much. No. We're talking about making do here. We're making do. We're making do. You might have cookies that spread a little bit more. Okay. But in general, whatever. That'd be great. That just makes them bigger. I like it. <laughs> Some people do that on purpose. They <laughs> add like a little bit of brown rice syrup to get more of those like flat, super crispy chocolate chip cookies. Got it. Another one that's easy is dark brown sugar. Oh, yeah. But only if you have molasses, which I feel like most people buy a jar of molasses and then it just like sits in their cupboard. Yeah. And totally. now you're going to be glad you had it because 
this. You just take a cup of regular granulated sugar, and if you're making light brown, you add one tablespoon of molasses, or if you need dark brown sugar, you can add two to three tablespoons of molasses. And a lot of like, if you find recipes for making your own um, brown sugar online, will be like, and you have to put it in the food processor. Actually, you really don't. You can just like mix it together in uh, by hand. Awesome. I, I like I'm that. specifically calling out the recipe we, we wrote when I worked for Alton Brown, where it's like, you have to process it. No, no, you don't. <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you for that insider tip. <laughs> sorry. I'm taking no, up so be, much of your time when there's probably sorry. other substitutions you really want to know about. Yeah. Should we talk more savory things like rice and... Yeah tomatoes and broth. Totally. I'm going to just quickly talk about cornstarch because actually I think that it might be useful during a time of quarantine, but hopefully, I mean, maybe always because if you're making like stir fries, for example, or like sauces and you're really trying to use what you have, if you run out of cornstarch, you can use flour. Yes. The thing that you need to know though is that flour has like a more pasty flavor so where cornstarch will just be added and immediately thicken it and you don't have to worry about cooking off the flavor it's a little bit different when you add flour you're going to want to like you know simmer or whisk while it cooks for about three minutes after it's thickened so that you can avoid that raw taste of flour Yes. And I would say just like cornstarch, if you're using um, flour to thicken a sauce or gravy, it is really great if you, and I know it's going to dirty an extra dish, but it just really does help to make a slurry, which is usually equal parts flour or cornstarch and water and just like whisk them together before adding them into the pan. It'll keep things from getting lumpy, which no one needs lumpy gravy right now. Also from burning, like if you're doing it early on before there's other liquid added, like if you're making a roux and you're just adding it to like fat and you're whisking and your pan is on high heat, it will just, you know, it, that kind of step, adding the, uh, making the slurry rather, just keeps everything moving. Yeah. All right. Okay. Can you talk to us about rice? Because I'm actually out of rice. (laughs) You know, (laughs) you know what I did do this week though? And I felt really proud. I should have texted you. I used some of the bonza rice, air quotes rice, because I think it's more like orzo. I agree. Yeah. To make your, like, a riff on the the orzo risotto that yeah. you made for us for so, so long ago, which had, like, sausage and stuff in it. But I did broccoli and cheddar cheese, and it was so good. Yum. That sounds good. It was, good. Like, the best cheesy rice ever. Well, so there you go. Orzo is the perfect place to start. You know, I'll just rattle off some, like, basic equivalents here, but I think people can, like, figure that part out, especially if you're just making this as a, like, side dish. But for every cup of uncooked white or brown rice, you can use two cups of orzo, uh, about a cup and one and one quarter cup, rather, of couscous, about a three quarter cup of barley, a cup of quinoa, a cup of bulgur, which, like, who has that in their pantry except someone like me who's like, me. oh, I'm totally going to use this, right? <laughs> and then it's like it's like molasses. It's there. It's been there. You know, you can also, like, if you go to the market and you're finding that, like, all of the basic stuff, like pasta, couscous, quinoa, rice are all out, don't be afraid to grab the bulgur, the wheat berries, the kasha, barley, and stuff like that. It all can really work. Faro. Shout out to Faro. Love Faro. Okay. What about tomatoes? 
if you need fresh tomatoes and you can't get them, because that's another thing. My grocery store has been sold out a lot of lately. Yeah. So I actually have been not finding canned tomatoes very easily. So fresh tomatoes, you know, it depends on the time of year when they're not delicious. If you're going to be cooking them and using them as a substitute for canned, it can work out mostly. Like if you're making a tomato sauce, it may not be awesome because out-of-season tomatoes are going to be mostly water. And canned tomatoes are canned while they're in season. But, you know, we're making do in this episode. For every pound of fresh tomatoes, it's about one and one half cups of canned whole peeled tomatoes. So that's the substitution there. Also, for every pound of fresh tomatoes, three tablespoons of tomato paste can work in some recipes. You just may need to add liquid. And you can also use sun-dried tomatoes. Those are in the shelf-stable aisle, and they come in jars. And hey, why not? Sometimes they come in plastic, and they're not packed in liquid at all. But six to eight sun-dried tomato halves, which you can reconstitute in water, is about a pound of fresh tomatoes. I love all of those. Can you take tomato paste and make like a easy tomato sauce if you can't find canned tomatoes? I feel like you can. I feel like a quarter cup of tomato paste to a cup of water, or maybe three quarters of a cup of water. Yeah, I have a brilliant friend who bought powdered tomato too, and I was like, "Oh, that's really smart." Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. I have done that. I mean, it was a really long time ago, so I don't know that I can speak to it really thoughtfully, but tomato paste thinned out. I think that can work better. Like add lentils or ground meat if you have it, because when you just have a simple like marinara or simple tomato sauce, like that's really about allowing that tomato flavor to shine. But if you've browned some meat or you have lentils and garlic and onion that you sauteed and cooked first, then the fact that you're using tomato paste as your base won't matter quite as much because you're getting flavor from other elements of your sauce. And also tomato paste is another place to talk about cooking it because if you just want, like if you would typically use a little bit of tomato sauce for something, like to finish something, you definitely want to cook tomato paste longer. Otherwise it has a weird sort of tinny raw flavor to it. Totally. Which is funny because tomato paste is made from like a long, slow cook of tomatoes. So it's funny that they taste sort of raw still. Yeah. Okay. I feel like we have two very important things to talk about before we end this episode broth and wine yes! <laughs> let's end on wine okay okay hit us up with broth okay you know that both stacy and i love like the better than bullion if you can find it but also if you just have bullion cubes that's really like so smart and great you just for every cup of broth a recipe calls for you will need one bullion cube plus one cup of boiling water or a teaspoon of bullion granules plus one cup of water Can you use wine? You can totally use wine in place of broth, too. You can, totally. And then for any of the broth, like, if you don't have beef broth and you have veggie broth, use your veggie broth. Yeah, for sure. We probably don't even need to tell you that. But in the instance of beef broth, another substitute might be red wine or also I steal my husband's beer in place of beef broth all the time. Totally. Totally. (laughs) Because you're basically, in most cases with broth, unless you're making like a soup and the broth flavor really is going to Like be French forward. onion is the only example I can think of where it's like, oh, you do kind of want beef broth yeah, for that. Yeah, totally. But, you know, for most things where broth is called for, it's really about a cooking liquid 
that has yes. some like good background flavor and you can achieve that with wine um vermouth is a great substitute for white wine or beer you know water oh, you, just, in you went right into wine <laughs> yeah let's move it into say, wine i always wait, have vermouth is in there my house even an episode, is there really a substitute for wine stacy <laughs> um no there really isn't Not in but, our hearts but i feel like in this time okay and it will pass and maybe you're listening down the line but in this time of quarantine there's truly no <laughs> substitute for wine <laughs> truly for like, drinking for drinking for drinking can unless i can hard, i say that emphatically enough <laughs> unless it's hard liquor that's yeah. the only substitute i'll take but oh. flavor wise you're saying we can use um vermouth in place of white wine which is 100%. great because i probably have a bottle of vermouth i've never opened oh i have vermouth all the time because my favorite pre-dinner cocktail is equal parts sweet and dry vermouth on the rocks with the lemon twist okay hey can we get a recipe for that that's in the show it notes? that's the recipe that's there it. you go that's i'll the write recipe. it out <laughs> i'll write we it out in the show notes we just need I'll a, a quick photo picture. we'll do it yeah, yes. Absolutely. So yeah, it's fortified wine, basically. But red vermouth or sweet vermouth is sweet, obviously. And dry is like a dry fortified white wine. So it works one to one. Same thing with sherry and sake and mirin. You yep. can use all of those for white wine substitutes. I think this is funny, the idea that you could use white grape juice or red grape juice as a substitute for red or white wine, because I'm like, I don't keep either of those on Me hand. either. But maybe other people do. And if you're going to use a grape juice in, in substitution for wine, you do want to add some acidity in the form of vinegar. And just try to think about like the flavor. If you're using red grape juice... You might want to add red wine vinegar to it or lemon juice, whereas if you're using white grape juice, maybe you want to add um, a little bit of white wine vinegar or lemon juice. Yep. Or cider vinegar would probably work. Oh, yeah. Um, and for red vinegar. wine, depending on how you're cooking it, uh, beef broth works, beer works for stews. Those are also options. But <laughs> we're only telling you this because we want you to save your wine for drinking. <laughs> Please. <laughs> Don't cook with it right now. Please, save please it save for, for drinking. drinking. <laughs> um, we should just make that a public service announcement in general. Uh, Ooh, that was a long one. There's a lot. You know that we're always available via DMs. You can email us at hello at didn't I just feed you or join us in our listeners group. If you have follow-up questions, we're doing our best to check in on those daily so we can help you in any cooking crunches you've got going on right now. And most importantly, subscribe to Didn't I Just Feed You so you don't miss a single episode. And if you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us and leave a review on iTunes. It makes a really big difference. A huge thank you to our editor, Samantha Gatsik. Sam, I don't know what we'd do without you in times like these. Our music is Good Old Times by Alex Cohen, provided by Jim Endo. I'm Megan. And I'm Stacy. Stay sane and well-fed until next week. Never have we needed that reminder more. Hey, Oliver. Yeah? I hear that you love to bake. What's your favorite thing to make? Snickerdoodles! Snickerdoodles! Like the dogs, doodles, plus Snickers. Like the candy bar Snickers, plus dogs, the, the dogs that are doodles. <laughs> <laughs>